course, in the not too distant future, we're going to have more zero emission vehicles on the road, not less, of course. And uh, how are we going to facilitate the transition between the two? And who is best positioned to try and make that transition for all across uh, all classes as well? Joining us to talk about it, Andrew Robel who joins us from Michigan, the Director of Commercial Vehicle and Fleet Research at Escalant, and our Midwest Bureau Chief, Alan Adler, joining us as well. Again, both of you coming from the state of Michigan. Andrew, let me start first with you. Uh, our esteemed colleague, John Kingston, uh, said not too long ago that uh, manufacturers are not gonna build two trucks. They're not gonna build a California truck, as he put it, and then a truck for everybody else. This was before the clean fleet rules started to come through with other states. Um, as you look at it right now, what do you think is gonna be the catalyst across the board, not just class A's, but across the board in terms of uh, how we're gonna get there? Will it be demand? Will it be pressure from the government? Will it be infrastructure? that eventually gets manufacturers completely on board uh, and going not just with a combustion truck, but also, but singularly uh, the, these uh, zero emission vehicles. Yeah, I really think it's gonna be a combination of all. It's not just what fleets want out of vehicles because I think there are a lot of fleets that would just be happy to, to run what they're running now and not worry about making a switch to any new type of powertrain. But obviously, government is not going to let that happen. We're continuing towards these new zero emission powertrains, low emission powertrains, um, and that transmission is expected or transition is expected to continue out into the future. Uh, but how OEMs, what products are available from OEMs, how they're supported by the supply base, and then infrastructure and utilities, kind of two other big key plays in there, not just. Uh, is the charging infrastructure available at the fleet location, but how are the utilities able to support that um, is another major part in how fast and how easily it will uh, be for fleets to meet these zero emission requirements. Alan, same question to you. Do you see one major factor being the, the, the catalyst or a combination of all that I mentioned and possibly more? I think it is a, a mix. I also think there's some fleets uh, that are going to hold on as long as they can to diesel. It's interesting that the diesel technology uh, forum this week said that 57% of diesel trucks are now, uh, you know, low carbon or low emission, uh, uh, you know, L LZEV, I guess, is probably not the right terminology. But, you know, better uh, diesels, quite honestly. And I think some of these fleets, especially the midsize, are going to hold on as long as they can. They will move to electric as they have to. And, and the interesting thing to me is that, especially on the, on the uh, nitrogen oxide issue, that the, uh, that the engine manufacturers and CARB agreed this week uh, that they will go ahead and, and get in line with the EPA requirements of 2027. So that takes away one of the immediate threats, at least in terms of having to make uh, uh, equipment changes. Andrew, uh, right now, among the OEMs right now, who do you think is best positioned to make this transition across the board? Again, not just class eights. Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the class really is where we're at right now. And part of that too is, one of the big shifts that we're paying attention to is movement between classes. So if a fleet has been operating a, a class two or a class three vehicle, because of the uh, added weight of the electrified powertrain, payload, um, towing capacity, everything is reduced in that same class when you move to the zero emission. We're watching that some of these vehicles may transition into larger vehicles, which puts additional strain on existing OEMs that may be better positioned in certain classes than others. 
that's very interesting to see the smaller smaller class trucks to become larger ones there as well. Alan, um, we talked a while ago about uh, the, obviously the California initiative and the fact that there are financial incentives certainly for buyers to get into and, and buy these zero emission vehicles as these restrictions uh, come to light. In terms of uh, OEMs, are there incentives to manufacturers that can also push them along in terms of pushing these vehicles out to the public maybe before they even really want them? Well, I think the, the manufacturers, you know, obviously are, are working. They have grant writers to help the fleets and things like that uh, qualify for them. So even though they're not direct to the manufacturer, obviously the the uh, incentive uh, or the voucher program in the case of the HVIP in California uh, does af affect the manufacturer directly because they're the ones selling the vehicles. So it behooves them to do everything they can to help the fleets uh, that are probably not prepared for this transition and don't have people sitting around who know a lot about electric vehicles, things like that, to to go ahead and do everything they can to get them there. So I think the I think the incentives, while they are intended to get more trucks on the road. Uh, directly affect the manufacturers who make the trucks. And so I think that, uh, you know, there's a real a real upside here. There's also, you know, low carbon fuel standard and other incentives out there, as well as infrastructure incentives. Andrew, as you see this, uh, obviously there are lots of different uh, fuel types that are going to be used in the zero emission vehicles. You're talking about hydrogen, we're talking about nitrous oxide um, uh, in various forms there as well. How much will it matter what manufacturers make given the various fuel options that are there and also given the infrastructure to support those different fuels uh, out on the road? Yeah, well, when we look specifically to the zero emission uh, question there on hydrogen for hydrogen fuel cell as well as hydrogen ICE on the internal combustion engine side, uh, but hydrogen fuel cell and battery electric vehicles kind of make up that zero emission space. Electric clearly is the, the leader right now, just based on infrastructure alone. It's much easier to recharge a battery electric vehicle throughout the country right now than it is to find a hydrogen fueling station for a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. However, as that transitions and as there's more investment that's put in on the fuel cell side, we expect to see a mix between the two, not one leading the other. Similar to now how we have uh, gasoline and diesel that throughout the classes, that kind of makes up the majority of vehicles that are on the road. See a similar transition where a lot of the, the long haul trucks or trucks that may not be running the same route every day or returning to base every night, they'll transition more to the fuel cell side and then vehicles that run the same route that it's easy to predict how much how far they need to drive each day or each trip, uh, they'll move to the battery electric side. Alan, one of the things that we've talked about uh, in past months and not so much recently are these kind of step technologies that we're going to try and get us from combustion engines to zero emission vehicles. Uh, for instance, renewable diesel. I know that there's also technologies that can break down diesel and not make it as, uh, not make the emissions nearly as high. Because we're trying to make this transition, are these technologies, are these ideas just going to be phased out because they're not going to have a chance to be the step? Or, or are, we, are they going to get a chance to, to possibly get us from a, a diesel and combustion engine into what we need in the future? 
Well, Andrew mentioned hydrogen ice, and this is really important that just this week alone, uh, we had two uh, players, uh, two major players decide that this is, in fact, something they want to do. This started with Cummins uh, about a year or so ago when they started talking about fuel agnostic engines, um, natural gas, which has its detractors, but then also uh, hydrogen ice, which is for around 2027 uh, production at Cummins. But now you've got Daimler Truck is going to do a hydrogen ice engine off of its Detroit engine, probably the uh, DD-15. And then you also this week have Bosch saying that they're going into hydrogen ice. So why all of a sudden is this happening? It's because in Europe, the regulators have decided that they will consider hydrogen ice, which does burn and therefore create some level of CO2 uh, as a zero emission uh, uh, product. And the fact that they're doing that is freeing up these companies to pursue it, both, I, I think, in the interim. And again, understanding that it really is only for sort of heavy haul and specific uses. But the idea of embracing uh, this as a transition uh, to fuel cell, perhaps, or maybe even to keep it in the lineup, um, I think is significant. We've seen a lot of that this week. Got about a minute left here. Uh, Andrew, right now, obviously, there are lots of different options for everybody, but how much is at stake in terms of market share as we turn from diesels to other fuels, say, over the course of the next 20 years? Is this going to be a real kind of free-for-all, or do people kind of find their lane? From an OEM standpoint, I think everybody is still kind of working towards every technology. They know OEMs know they have to to meet the zero emission targets that are set forth by California, other states, uh, potentially as we move closer to 2030 through EPA. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're just abandoning ICE where it is right now. They're still right. continuing to sell that. It still makes up a huge majority of uh, what's sold now and what's expected to be sold out even Al over the next yeah. 10 years. Alan, is this going to be a free-for-all or is everybody going to find their lane? No, I think, I think as Andrew said, I think everybody's going to pick what they want. They're going to try it first. And then if it works for them, they're going to apply it uh, more widely. But there's no, one, there's no one solution here. The OEMs know it. The fleets know it. And uh, the smart OEMs are talking to the customers saying, what are your needs? And, you know, what's the best way to do it? So, so it's not a free-for-all at all. It's very, very strategic, I think. It's going to be an interesting next couple of decades as this uh, issue gets sorted out in many different directions. Alan and Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. All right, let's skip it back over to Kaylee for our last check of headlines for the day.